You're listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. Tanil, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started a podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Tony Harrington is a man with many talents. In our last interview, we talked about his big wave, big mountain photography career and his successful art gallery. And in this interview, we discussed the state of the snow industry, what it takes to get a job in a ski town, And we touch on other interesting projects that might inspire you to pack your bags and try your luck in a ski tent. Good, thanks. We're up here at Mount Buller. It's uh, beginning of the snow season. Uh, Everyone's fired up, really excited. Oh, awesome. Is there snow on the ground yet or not? No, we've had some snow, but, um, you know, just a bit of a tease for everyone, but it's melted. It's still a bit early. We don't want it to fall for another month yet. So uh, Exactly. You don't want it too early. Like they say, if it falls in May, it never stays. <laughs> That's right. Look, at last year we had a meter on the 1st of May and then one of the worst seasons in a few decades, quite a few decades. So, uh, yeah. Mm. Well, we enjoyed having you last time on the podcast. So this episode we really want to look at what people can do if they move to one of the Victorian ski towns, ski resorts, how can they sustain themselves financially? What can that, what industries can they work in? Um, you've had uh, involvement in international TV as well as your Chill Factor magazine and Buller Beer and your art gallery. So lots of info today for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest. Um, the easiest way to get in, there's no real easy way to get into the snow industry these days. It used to be, um, for some reason, it used to be a lot easier. There used to be a lot more accommodation around. That's the biggest issue every single ski resort is finding. There's just not enough um, accommodation for staff, and it's not just for the snow industry it's 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 any burgeoning town uh, around the country or overseas at the moment um a lot of uh properties really hot at the moment and um people want high returns for it you know it's all it's all about money which really sucks in a way but uh you've got to deal with it um so the f- biggest problem to overcome is accommodation. How and how are you going to get that accommodation? The easiest way is to apply for a job early in like February, March. You go to the websites, uh, to the ski resort websites, and they've got a list of job offerings. So if you manage to go through the interview process and you get accepted for a job, most of those jobs come with accommodation. So then you're in the door. If that doesn't happen, you just need to go on to all the Facebook groups of each resort early and just put it out there saying, hey, I'm after accommodation. Um, Is it and, 
yeah, it's 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 really hard. There's just not much of it. So does that, in a way, stop people applying for all the jobs because they know that that's going to be a, a downturn? So the staff is going to be hard to get for these for our little Mount Bullers and our ski towns now, or or they they're still keen. There's still young kids that are 19 going. I'm down there. I am fresh. Need a season. Is- um, there. It's been a real challenging this winter. The biggest thing which has been very difficult for every single industry on the mountain is JobKeeper because no kids were keen to apply for JobKeeper. Everyone was getting JobKeeper, so they didn't want to um, uh, give up free money and come down and and work. So JobKeeper's just finished, so that should change a little bit. and the other difficulties the, res- the resort operators were finding was that security. Everybody's nervous at the moment with COVID, so everybody wants security. Hope, hope you know, Australia's in a very lucky position moving forwards through through this. So um, that shouldn't be much of a problem. But it still just comes down to the lack of affordable accommodation. I mean, I had, um, I've got the gallery now, and I've had. Um, the photo business for running for the last five, six years, and I've had amazing photographers, but I can't get accommodation for them. I did have a rip curl store for a couple of years, of which um, I love love being part of. Um, it was my first first time I've got into retail, but I did enjoy it. But um, I had to let it go because I couldn't get staff who were willing to pay if they could get accommodation you've got to pay from the 1st of june to the 30th of september whether there's snow or yeah season at all with covid and then they've got to pay 250 minimum 250 dollars a person per week to share with at least one person in their room if not four people in a room so you know that's four months. Uh, that's four thousand dollars just for accommodation to share some really stinky small room. It's and funny. I'm not, I'm not going to hide the fact. I mean, majority of the accommodation for staff is, you know, definitely. Um, well, back in the nineties, we used to call ours cell block. So it was where, where we stayed. It was like so that was the accommodation, you know, and then in Parish it was blue block, brown block. It, it's not flash, but mm. it's really interesting that you say it because we were dying to get a job in the 90s down at a ski field, you know. We would work for the $12 an hour and then go and work and wash dishes at night and serve yeah. waitress at night and live with three people in a room. It kind of, yeah, it just seems that the kids of today are like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, well, we were just, there was no option and we just did it. <laughs> so well, the changing of the guard with the kids or like, because you're not getting 40-year-olds doing that, are you, really? Even back in the day we weren't getting 40-year-olds doing that, sharing rooms, sharing accommodation. and It's a sort of a rite of passage though, isn't it? I, I, when we did our ski instructors thing and lived in that terrible accommodation in Austria, I turned 30 and we are with all the 18-year-olds going, well, we should have done this when we were 18. Not thirty, <laughs> but oh. <laughs> yeah. What's the average age of people coming in? Do you think? 
Oh, look, I've... Um, Mid-twenties, maybe, early, early twenties. So not as young anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, no, not as young anymore. Um, you're right. It is completely different. I, look, they, what, what do they call it? Gen Y, Gen X, Gen whatever. I, I've got no idea whatever, <laughs> whatever, what all the groups are, but um, definitely the attitudes among young, among the older kids are completely different to what ours were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> I know it adds up fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, look, I, I, I think if you're still hungry, if you want to go skiing, yep. you can find a job. If you don't get the job when you first apply in February, March, and then you need to come to the resorts on the opening weekend and you need to stay somewhere, bunk in with somebody, stay off the mountain in Mansfield or one of the satellite towns around the resorts and door knock because there's a lot of people who might get accepted for a couple of jobs and they get down here and then suddenly there's uh, um, one of the mountain operators found, find out they, they've lost their staff or um a lot of people get to the mountains and after a week or two they realise that, oh, this isn't for them, so they quit. Yeah. Um, a lot of people come down here told that they're going to get work and um, it doesn't work out for them. They don't get enough shifts a week. So um, you just need to turn up and turn up with a little bit of money and hang out and give it a shot. And then if you do get a job, there's two things you can do. You can just make enough money to pay rent and your bar tab and go rip around the mountain all day long, or you can get a lot of work because once you've got your accommodation on the mountain, you can pick up another one or two, three jobs if you had time just to make money. So, you, yes, you can make good money in the mountains if you want to, but, um, yeah. It's, it's true. So that's all still there. So when we were like, when I taught skiing through the day, I used to waitress at night, mm. at little Charlotte Pass, you know, a little tiny resort. But I, I think Buller's probably got the same kind of feel as Charlotte Pass, a bigger mountain, obviously, but a smaller yeah. village. But and and then you don't spend your money. I mean, you, I found a way to have a drink, obviously, but <laughs> but but you kind of save a lot more money because you're not you're not trying to fill in time. You know, you're actually working and. So, that, and and if you go over to the Northern Hemisphere, I always, like, that was my goal, you know. It was like, okay, I need to get a plane ticket. I need to be able to pay for my rent when I first arrived there. So is there that attitude, do you feel, still in the mountains? They, everyone's on the hunt to go over to the Northern Hemisphere or they're kind of just like get a job, sit 12 weeks, 16 weeks and go back to Victoria, or go back to Melbourne or? That does surprise me. Um, of there's a good spread of people who, um, in Victoria, I found, like I, I spent quite a few years up in Threadbow where I started, and it seemed like if you go down Threadbow, you're doing that so you can go overseas skiing, you know, you continue it. Whereas here in Victoria, well, particularly Mount Buller, maybe only because we're only three hours away from Melbourne, people just come up here for that lifestyle change for a couple of months. Sure, there's um, people who do go overseas, but... I'm really surprised about how many staff are up here just for three, four months, and then they go back to their summer jobs. Um, wow. Yeah, down the coast, yeah. 
surprising. Mm. Okay, yeah. So if you were to stay in Bula, like if you if you got there in the winter season, you went, oh my gosh, I love this. What are the opportunities? Do you think in the ski town to go? I'm going to stay through summer. I don't have to go back downtown. I don't have to go to Morning Peninsula or whatever. Is there? Is there a? Is the Australian Summer Trade building? Look, um, I think Threadbow's smashed it in what they're doing. That's year round. Um, it's not a matter if it's when it will happen here in Buller. I mean, my strategy for getting uh, the gallery for the next for a 10-year lease was to um, for it to grow year-round. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it hasn't hit up here yet. Um, and there's a lot of economical economic factors with COVID, you know, obviously the Resort Management Board and Chamber of Commerce are really pushing for that year-round um, mix of business, but it's not there at the moment. So if you did want to start here for year-round, I mean, if you're a tradie, mm. like I'm a sparky by trade, and I could think of no other better place in Australia to work as a tradesman than up on the mountains. You don't have to deal with traffic. You're dealing with... Um, just a really cool environment. Uh, it's not easy with the weather, but then again, you don't get your 40 degree days for months on end during summer. Um, so there's there's always plenty of trade work. There's always usually enough um, building work for lackeys or, you know, if you just wanted to be an on-site worker. Um, there is limited um opportunities for uh restaurant staff mm. um and i know the staff up here at the moment they've uh this the staff like the a-bomb um Bulliskilis have been operating the a-bomb and uh they're flogged with the amount of work that they're getting there's not a lot of jobs but they're all making really good money yeah 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 so it, it it's here if you want it for sure. What yeah. about uh, jobs where you're based from a laptop? Oh, for sure. If you're home working, if you if you can work from home, this is a dream setup. If you don't like the beach if for whatever reason, mm. um, I couldn't think of a better place to work from from, from home. It's... I notice, I notice um, Monash University is doing a lot of advertising at the moment for 100% online university courses. And I've actually mentioned to my son, who's too young, but I've said, why don't you plant the idea in your mind of doing an online course when you finish school and go and, you know, work on an island, work on a ski resort, and you're still studying and I don't know. I mean, he's got to decide, but that's quite appealing. Oh, that's so appealing, isn't it, to to live somewhere where you want to live, surf, mountain bike, hike, enjoy the outdoors, and to do that from a laptop anywhere. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So, so has this changed because you do that anyway before you could do it from a laptop, you know, like that, that's your life. It's a pretty incredible life, as we know, as a photographer. So has it made your life easier, do you think, kind of now, or are you not quite sure yet? You, you haven't experienced another oh, trip before you? No, uh, 100% it's easier. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Travel what, photography and. 
what makes it easy is when telecommunications gets better. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's the only limiting factor. Like two years ago, well, no, no, sorry, uh, four years ago and five years ago, three months of time, I was living up in northwest Australia off the grid, surfing every day, catching fish, and then we had a satellite dish to get internet. So, you know, you check your weather forecast morning and night and you download your emails and then in the morning and then you just do all your replies and send them all in the one afternoon. I mean, that's just... Living. Well, that's just living, yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. So no. from there, like getting into all your other pies that your fingers are in, mm. um, so like, so while you're sitting there, there surfing, does someone go, okay, right, we want to start a beer? And you go, yep, I know how to do this, and it should be at Mount Bulla. So how do you start all these other ideas that you've got? Um, I usually start by situations that I've been put in. Um, Buller X Beer came about after, I won't go into too much details, but I got burnt by a major beer company and um, I put on this event called Buller X Beer and I put Buller X event, the ski and snowboard event, and it's all about your passion of putting your heart and soul into skiing and then at the end of that celebrating that so we wanted a beer so uh we're just sitting down i just looked at the mountain i've gone wow bullerex beer imagine sitting here drinking our own beer so i just came with it i just yeah. came up with the idea and then went to a um um to a craft book brewer and um created something for us and then just made it happen Mm. Um, and I do, I, I do have my fingers in a lot of pies, but the good thing is they're only short term each year, mm. couple of months. Like the beers at the moment, winter time, it's a, it's about to go year round, but um, then the gallery is only winter time here, and I'm just building up online to be year round, and it's been quite successful year round already. Um, and and I have to say that Tanil and I are lucky enough to be looking right now at yeah. your gallery that no one else can see, and we are looking at the most beautiful shots. And I've just got the worst wanderlust looking at all those beautiful shots <laughs> in the background of all those mountains, and oh, amazing! And you can buy all that online, can't you? Now it is, yeah. Every, everything's online at harrowart.com, mm. and it's amazing. it's a very uh, what I do is very specialist. It's more, um, I'd say, 95%, more than 95% of my market's all custom. So it's not, uh, I have. I, I do have some products which are about to roll out, which you can just click and buy. But for most of it, all the artwork's all custom. So high-end custom work. Gorgeous. Oh. Yeah. And I can do that anywhere in the world too because I've always, I've, I use a, um, print lab up on the central coast of new south wales they've got all my files and then i've got a copy when i'm overseas so i've been up sitting up in alaska or uh, come in from a big session out jaws and saw an order for a photo and processed it you know ring up uh ring up the client and uh talk to them over the phone or zoom or skype and uh fulfill the order which is really cool to do, do you think um, like a 
for other creatives who might be inspired by that idea. That's something where they could potentially live in some of these towns and fulfil these creative sort of avenues? Oh, for sure. You know, it's just it's just a matter of being disciplined. Yeah. You know, that's what it comes down to. It and sounds to me like you've got to have also a lot of determination and, and that can-do attitude of not seeing. Some people just see problems everywhere they look, but you know, your attitude of just seeing opportunity and the finding the people to make it happen. Excuse my puppy dog whinging. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's um, nothing's ever easy and you're going to come across more problems than answers, but you've just got to stay focused and um, just work through it. You know, just be passionate. I've got a thing, I'm a Dunny Door, uh, Dalai Lama. Um, God, I should read, read it every morning, so I shouldn't have. <laughs> um, um, wealth, it's something like goes something like wealth will not bring you happiness. Happiness will bring you wealth. If you're happy with what you do, ah, that's right. S- success not will not make you happy. Happiness will lead on to success. If you love what you're doing, you will be successful. Mm, so true. And I need that, that on the back of my Danny door. <laughs> I, that's a good. That's a good read every morning. <laughs> it, it is, and it, it is so true because yeah. business is hard. Business is difficult. No one who makes a lot of money has found it to be easy. You really got to be. You got to love what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. You're not going. It's yeah. yeah. Well, I think that kind of leads into the Chill Factor magazine, then, doesn't it? That you're currently <laughs> launching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about that, because I mean, in the mag, like the magazine industry, we don't want it to die. It's such a. It's so precious to open up a, a magazine or a book and see beautiful imagery. So, and this is obviously a passion project of yours right now. So, lead us into it. Yeah, well, Chill Factor um, is the only published snow title left in Australia. Uh, last year, being the pandemic year, um, we knew we weren't going to get in any advertising or very little. Um, and I just got back from Alaska and I'm in isolation for two weeks. And uh, we thought that's it, it's not going to happen. And I said, no, we can make this happen, you know. And then as a team, we said, right, if the industry wants it, we're going to put it out there on fundraiser. Um, I think we use GoFundMe or one of those. And um, we had four weeks to raise the money for the print bill. Um, And we said, if we do it, we'll make it. If not, well, it means the industry doesn't want it. Within two weeks, we got the money that we needed. So um, we created, and then this year, I mean, it's coming the, off the back of the worst season ever for sales, so brands still don't have money, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, and um, we're a very reputable magazine. We've got reputable people on the team, and um, we're credible with the core industry suppliers out there 
and have gone like Neil Ridgway from Ripcoal says, Harrow, there will never be a day when Ripcoal won't buy an ad in a print magazine. And um, and North Face are like that and a couple of other brands, which is great. Yeah. And the reason being that magazines still have relevance more so than ever because there's not many of them now. But what we're finding with marketing with uh, marketing people and a lot of uh, brand companies and that now, they're sort of younger, and everyone's got to everyone's got to put a number next to a cent that they spend. Yeah. And it's not marketing. A good marketing campaign is not all about numbers in a column next to how much you spent. I mean, um, so true. So true, isn't it? And then yeah. that's where Chill Factors come into its own. It's beautifully produced. It's got stunning stories. It's something you put on the table and people read it, like not just this year but for years to come. So, so that's what we've been lucky. So where's your main distribution? Are you, are, you cha- are you being innovative with the distribution, not just going through news agents now? Do you tend to go, okay, we've got this amazing product and magazine Let's get it in the hands of people through retail shops, through like correct. Yeah, well, we still use the traditional news agent. Yep. That, uh, for distribution, um, we've a media partner with Warren Miller. Oh, perfect. So you'll see us at uh, we'll be at the at some at most of the big Warren Miller movie outlets. Um, the snow travel snow travel expos in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, we do handouts to all the um, ski shops yep. in Sydney and Melbourne and around the resorts and um, and good. then obviously, obviously online. And um, we need to lift our game a little bit more on the promotion um, and we're just working our way through that. I mean, we are, we're four people. Uh, we've owned the magazine for three years now. Reggae was the editor and I was a senior photographer back when it started 22 years ago. But um, the only reason it's going now is because the four of us all have, we all have full-time jobs, which this time of year is crazy for us. So to be able to do a magazine also, I mean, there's only so much time you can it's massive you've got to do pagination you've got to yeah 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 it's yeah so i'm looking forward uh it's got to be the printers at nine o'clock tomorrow morning and i'm just hoping i don't have to pull an all-nighter tonight we're 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 pretty good i've been working till sort of 10 11 o'clock for the last week on it over night time and starting at 7 7 30 in the morning but uh it's fantastic to to work with so many amazing creative people, you know, not just the photographers but the writers and to work with Reggae and Watkin and Rilla and, yeah, yeah it's just amazing. Yeah. So how do you do that because Reggae is based in Sydney, yeah? Uh, so, Reggae's in oh, Threadbow. Threadbow. Threadbow, sorry, not Sydney. Um, New, yeah, so it's all this, it's all meetings over Zoom, so you're still doing quite a successful mag and you don't Yeah, yeah, we, we, we put it together like Watkin and I are the – um, been working on the design, so I'll um, I'll just send the InDesign file down to him to just to cast his eyes over, and then I'll create a PDF 
every couple of days and send it to the team and get feedback on. Um, Reggae being the editor, editor and I, we work together really closely. So we'll just make 20 phone calls to each other every each day. Yeah. Um, is the wordsmith and um, she That's takes the content anybody sends in and she proofreads that and makes suggestions. So I was, just, <laughs> I was talking to Reggae yesterday, I mean, uh, he's been publishing for like 40 years now, Surf and Snow magazines, and we've got the dream team. You could not ask for um, another four different people who each bring different aspects of the business to the table. So, yeah, it's fun. Getting back to that ski industry, it sounds like you have to, like you're going to succeed if you're innovative, if you keep it fresh, if you're passionate, like, it's you surround yourself with the right because you literally got what's our it used to be 16 weeks now down to 12 would you say our ski season in australia or a bit oh, um look 12 but really in retail business six six wow well, there's only six weeks of a winter where business makes money <laughs> on outside outside of those six weeks i Doubt whether you're breaking even, you're probably losing money, but you've got to be there. Yeah, yeah. It's so, yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, two weeks in, first two weeks of July is good. Uh, school holidays. Yep. Um, leading up to school, you know, for the for the end of June, uh, your training staff, your, your money's going out the door. Yep. You know, just by training and you've already spent, you know, ten, oh, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars on stock and you usually, you know, you put a lot of that on your credit card. Yeah. Um, and then two weeks during school holidays and then second two weeks of July is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, uh, but, but not making a lot of money, then definitely August is your humdinger. And then from September, you're just trying to figure ways of not not spending any more money. Yeah, yeah. trying to yeah. save Christmas. So, so really, we should be making summer out of our mountains, and shouldn't we? Just to extend that, because of all everything that you're putting into it, the government should come and the national park should come to go. Yeah, these guys need a summer and keep people in Australia. You know, like mountain bike riding at Threadbow at the moment is going through the roof. Well, and also just the whole new precinct they're creating with with Gindabine and everything. You, I mean, what what is it looking like? What's the word on the street with Victoria following suit? Oh, look, they're doing what they can. Um, I'm not really into mountain biking, so I don't know that the economics of how that all works. Don't I thought you're not into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a lot of big mountain bike developments outside of Melbourne, which are really taking off. Um, it, it, will, it will happen up here for sure. I mean, my biggest bummer about this brand new dam that they've put in up on Mount Buller is that it's um, that you they use it for drinking out of potable water. They've got two dams up there. If they kept their old dam just for supplying water for drinking and they incorporated 
um, snowmaking activities of which oh. people could utilize that up there. I mean, that would for that brand new dam, that would have been amazing. I mean, that was just uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, you know, I, I wasn't involved in those discussions, but uh, I'm sure there's a reason why they didn't do it. But oh. could you have or, done like water? Sorry, I'm, I don't really know about the dam, but could you have done water skiing on it or stand up paddle boarding? Or? Oh, yeah, you could have, yeah, you could do heaps of things. I mean, it's not big, but you know, there's still things you can you can create up there which would attract people. I, I mean, looking at the New South Wales area for like this, like the snow area, it seems like any aspect they could has been utilized for something like the rock climbing and then the e-bikes and then photography tours and horse riding. So surely where there's a will, there's a way with humans, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a matter of what came, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. To get people up here you need businesses willing to take a risk and open and put staff on and put food on Um and everyone's nervous. We had bushfires two years ago. We had COVID now. Yeah. So there's been three years where every business has already taken a massive hit. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to pay it's someone fun. to stay here and open up the gallery because it's one of the foundation businesses of which a resort needs to attract people. Yeah. If you've got... Um, <laughs> Uh, a bar, a restaurant, a cafe, um, a gallery, mm. then they're, 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 I guess that's the foundation to creating um, and a reason why people would want to come to the mountains. That's so true. It feels like a village if you're coming and you're not even skiing for the day and you can have a wander around and go to the gallery and go and get a coffee and pick through a couple of, shops you yeah it's a happy day it is it is a happy day i mean easter up here was a, i came up for easter it was the first time i've been here during easter it was crazy we we did have good weather but it was absolutely phenomenal and we're just all hoping you know to see the day where something like that can grow up yeah. here. So yeah. about other- like in oh sorry emma go for it Oh, I was just going to say, apart from Bulla, how do the other Victorian resorts compare? Are they sort of similar in that way? There's no, would you say one's possibly offering more opportunities for? Not really. The problem with the other resorts is they're either, like we're only three hours away from Melbourne mm-hmm. and we're struggling to get people up here. And when you look at Falls Creek and Hotham, they're five hours yeah. Minimum. So it's just. Is it yeah. a tough drive? Is it a tough drive from Melbourne up to Hotham and Falls? Like ours from Sydney is a straight freeway through Canberra and pretty much, you know. So so I'm wondering if there's things stopping people because we drive five hours for a weekend in summer. Yeah. So yeah. what's, yeah, is it a tougher drive? Um, It's definitely a more gorgeous drive. Yeah. <laughs> you don't go through Canberra. <laughs> You don't go through Canberra. You go, uh, it's not just all highway. Like, I don't know. I remember when I was younger doing that drive from um, Central Coast down to um, Threadbow and Perisher, you know, the flare runs. 
and that's a long straight road um whereas the roads here are beautiful it's only a couple of hours up to albury and then you turn off and you go on these beautiful meandering roads up to the hotherman falls and buller you're only on the highway for three quarters an hour out of um melbourne and then you turn off and you're driving on these really nice roads so um yeah the the drive to a ski resort in victoria is much more breathtaking than the one from sydney down to the resorts yeah it'll be interesting to see this this winter how you go down in victoria for visitors from new south wales because i know we're going with another family down to hotham for the first time purely because we just want to see some new resorts that we've never seen and we're driving for the first time. Oh, it's, oh look, it's gorgeous. What is it? It's uh, six hours from Sydney to Albury, mm-hmm. I think, and then about another hour, hour and a half or something like that from Albury up to Hotham. Mm-hmm. Um, if yeah, I think I think you probably see a lot of Sydney sightings because it was unattainable for us to get there last year. So it's like we always want what we can't get, isn't it? And Victoria is now going to be open, hopefully, for the season. And well, Buller yeah. wants, yeah. I uh, mean, for a to, bit. Come, to, to come down from Sydney to Buller, for example, it's just as quick to jump on a flight out of Sydney into Melbourne, and then it's actually quicker. It is quicker. To, you jump in at Sydney Airport, you're in a plane for an hour and a half, another half hour getting off the plane, then three hours drive up. So it's about the same, it takes you about the same time to get up to Buller as it does to get from Sydney to um, uh, Threadbow. Uh, yeah. Also. And especially if you're coming from um, um, Brisbane, you know, the Gold Coast, you can get down here. Yeah. What about, do you get a lot of people from Adelaide? The skis in Adelaide? Yeah, we do get a few people, yeah, yeah. A lot a lot of the staff actually are from Adelaide. Oh, wow, okay, yeah. There's a big South Australian contingent here for sure. Well, that's really cool. It's, it's so interesting talking about, I mean, we're the same same country, but it's so different from, you know, from the, the Victorian ski resorts to the New South Wales ski resorts. They're <laughs> so much different, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think- what, 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 if you haven't been to Hotham before, what you're going to love about Hotham or any Victorian resort, the resort is up in the snow. Like Perisher, yes, is in the snow, but there's a reason why they call it Perisher, you know, Perish, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whereas, whereas the village here in um, Hotham, uh, in Buller and Falls Creek, there's a proper little village up here and it's all snow gum trees, so it's gorgeous. You you walk outside your room and you're in the snow and uh, you're walking around, you have stumbling back from apres or, you know, drinks at the bar and it's all snow and it's uh, it's really, really cool. Whereas if a lot of people who go to Parish or a Threadbow, they're down in Jindabyne, so you've got to make that long haul back down the mountain and then you're cold, you're wet, and then you're tired when you get down there and you get in your warm room, then you don't want to go out. That's uh, why we don't ski in New Zealand for a reason like that. No, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> I live for Wanaka in, 
in Wanaka for 10 years. And oh, um, you? oh, wow. I had a Photoshop right on the lakefront of Wanaka and I had the photography and video up at Trebacone Cadrona. And um, it was beautiful. But I, as like I've done enough seasons now, I don't want to ski. I don't ski all day. I just like going out for a couple of runs just about every day. But I don't feel like driving from, you know, in a town up for an hour just to go for two or three runs or have a coffee with friends and come back. So, yeah, um, yeah look, I love New Zealand. I love the skiing. It's absolutely gorgeous. But equally, it's a I, love, I love Australia. I mean, it is it is so unique out of any ski resort in the world. It's, it, it's, it's gorgeous, you know. So do you know how many ski resorts you've been in the world? Oh, no. <laughs> I've tried it. Over summer, actually, I try. I don't know, seventy or eighty or something. Oh, you'd have to go more. You'd have to be more. Yeah, m- maybe. Yeah, this is my thirty sixth, thirty fifth southern winter, and uh, I've done thirty northern winters, so sixty five winters. Yeah, you've done well over two hundred. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> that is- yeah. What about, um, so you've done some work for various international TV. What about people wanting to get into or if they're in media? Wow, it's getting harder. Mm -hmm. It's getting so difficult now. Everything's done online. Like I have a a distribution company out of Munich that I deal with for the last 12 years or so, uh, for the last four years, I haven't done anything with them. Then I got a call from them last week and they said, oh, Harrow, we want to talk to you about a film project. So we've got a Zoom call tomorrow to talk about that. And that was so out of the blue. But um, it's really, really difficult to get into because no one wants to pay anything. For content, it's free online for YouTube and stuff like that. It's all think? online, yeah. And um, it's interesting if you come up with a project idea, um, you don't need that <laughs> distribution TV anymore. You know, it's it's all online. So um, I'm putting on the World Heli Challenge and some other events which I've put on. Um, I used to ha- have to go out and get sponsorship for it, money for it, and how did I justify someone giving me, you know, a six-figure amount? I needed the television. Yeah. Right now, I don't need that, you know. Um, I used to have to, sometimes you have to pay, you used to have to pay to get stuff on TV, so you needed to not only produce the content and edit it, but then you had to pay a network to air it. Mm-hmm. Um, but times have changed now. Now those networks, um, as, oh, they'll say, look, just give us the content, mm-hmm. you know. They're not willing to pay for it, but at least you don't have to pay them for it because they want really cutting-edge content. Yeah. Uh, but I, I am trying to get the Heli Challenge off the ground again for next year. And, um, Which it's country? A, uh, back in Wanaka. Oh, nice. Oh, um, yeah, uh, look, it, it's a bit of a pipe dream, but um, 
You seem to make your dreams work for you, though, Harrow. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of failed ones. There's a lot of failed but ones. I, I do love that, though, <laughs> that you, you you put out all the balls and see which ones fall. I love that because you, you've got to have a can-do. It comes back to that can-do attitude, doesn't it? I mean, I talk to some people and they have ideas, but they never lift them off the ground because they're scared to fail. And you've got to almost go for it. Thank you. You hit the nail on the head there. If you're scared to fail, don't even go, go and get a job to work. Go and get a job right now and work for someone. If you're, if you're scared to fail because you will fail, there's a good chance of every business that you're starting failing, you yeah. know. They don't, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, look, I'm prepared to fail at that one, but I just won't put any money to it this time like I have done in the past. But um, wiser and older and wiser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but but getting getting back to that TV thing, uh, the internet now is your TV. Yeah. No, and it doesn't cost anything for you to push a button to upload that, and for potentially millions of people to see that. So, um, but there's still you know there, there, there's there's still a place for big projects. We're working on a HBO show that I'm producing. Um, we were supposed to do it last year and then COVID struck and we couldn't, and I needed the director and um, producer and a couple of talent from the US had to come down. They couldn't get down because of COVID. Yes. And so we put it off to this year, but still uh, we can only film this particular project during winter. Um, it's ocean-based and... Um, they couldn't come down this year, so now we've missed Two the years. series. The series has to be delivered to HBO on beginning uh, January next year. So um, they've had to go out and find another extreme project to film. And um, at the end of January next year, HBO liked the first series. Then I've got a shot at producing the yeah uh, one of the projects in the second series. So. What? Yeah. HBO seem like a network to work with, yeah. Like they. Oh, seem- they're they're the best. I mean, that's yeah. that's as big, you know. That and, and they do they do innovative things. They like they take on projects that no other mains not HBO become mainstream because people want what they're offering. Would you say that? Yeah. Or- they're they're del- they've always been mainstream, but now they're delving more into action sports. And it was Jimmy Chin's movie, uh, that famous photographer from Jackson Hole who does rock climbing. Oh, yeah. Um, and you've seen him on the Colgate toothpaste ad lately, <laughs> rock climbing with his teeth, and we're going, Jimmy, no, really? Sorry. But his, his film oh, is amazing, and it won an Oscar or uh, <laughs> won an Academy Award or, or Grammy Award or one of those things. And then suddenly the mainstream network's gone, wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Free solo, free solo, free solo. Yeah. This documentary, free solo. I'm going to watch it on your recommendation. Yeah, no, it's really good, and because he was so successful with that, that opened up the door to other adventure films getting accepted into that more Hollywood mainstream. Pulling out, would you ever do a reality TV show in a ski resort? <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> Use language. 
<laughs> Don't worry. We've thought about them every year. There's a couple of, you know, we'll have a couple of beers and think about this could be a great TV show on a staff lodge or, yes. you know, you know, on, on a surf boat on the Mentowies and, yeah, you put a couple of conflicting surf. True. Australia's <laughs> got this problem where we haven't let all our international students back in the country and it's causing all sorts of financial problems for our institutions. But uh, it's also created opportunities for Australian students to suddenly get into these courses that they wouldn't have actually otherwise got into. Industries that needed a facelift, a whole genderbine new precinct that it's going to be and the money pouring in from the government. Has there been kind of hidden COVID benefits to any of the ski towns or anything, any pluses? Um, not really because we need the ski resorts like the apple farms and the, you know, all, all, all that kind of industry. They need people, they need backpackers who are over here they're willing to work hard doing shitty jobs in, in shitty environments. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we really need that. When we travel, we do the shitty jobs, you know. Australians have known to be workers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably missing us as much as what we're missing their workers too. <laughs> I think. Yeah. 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 No, that, that's really difficult. I mean, a lot of the bar staff, wait staff, the, all the cleaners, you know, um, it's 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 hard to get good it's hard to get good working Australians doing those jobs. Yeah. So just on that, sorry, I was just googling again. The New South Wales government has done this winter skills job that they're releasing, and they're doing outdoor adventure guides. What's your thoughts? Lead back country ski tours, like they, this is alpine look, ropes outdoor guiding. Yeah. Look, it's. <laughs> Um, we had a big discussion on this the other day. Right now the, the government's training people up for jobs which aren't available because there's no accommodation up here. Oh. They need to fix the accommodation in ski resort. Well, let's take Around away the ski. Let's just add resorts. Yeah. You look at any major town who's flourishing with tourism anywhere in Australia and there is no affordable staff housing and one of the references we the focus points was the government is doing all these training initiatives but what are they going to do you know where are they going to get jobs there is no accommodation Mm. you know it is just um you need to fix up the accommodation in resorts whether it be snow or um you know, any, any, anywhere, anywhere, anywhere tourists yeah. go to. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Uh, yeah. Because with it, without having accommodation, no one's going to get jobs, you know, and if it's really shitty accommodation or it's too expensive, you're not going to get good workers. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is, yeah. I can't. I work from Sun Peaks in Canada when I'm doing my pre, pre-COVID life and they've got the same issue right now. Their Sun Peaks municipality are dealing because everyone's Airbnb being their house now. So they haven't yep. even got they haven't even got the little garages underneath that they could give away now or, you know, not give away but rent out or, you know, the yeah. studios. And so it is, yeah, it is a worldwide kind of problem because people want to do leisure. They want to come to these resorts, but if you're not getting staffed, you can't open up the opportunities. That's right. I mean, yeah. you look at Jackson Hole, 
it's just gone through a massive growth spurt. Well, it has been for quite a few years now, but particularly with COVID, people are dropping multi, multi millions of dollars on properties that they haven't even seen. Yeah. They just and they'll only go there for a couple of weeks a year and then they go home again. And uh, then you've got these empty places staying there. Um, they don't put anybody in them. So then there's, I mean, if there's people yeah. staying in them, that's good because they're going to be going down the street and buying stuff, mm-hmm. you know, coffee, yeah, true, and yeah. lattes. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and- like, like the town of Jackson with all their art galleries everywhere, you know. When I was in Jackson, I thought, wouldn't it be nice to just be swanning down the street, getting all your homewares from all these gorgeous little shops and all the local artists and everything? Like, oh. <laughs> be amazing i don't we need to start you know like power like um protect our winters we need to start another campaign for the accommodation almost don't we <laughs> yeah oh, so you are so right that's so interesting right. Yeah. yeah we can voice that opinion <laughs> so uh, so kind of like in our little wrapping up i guess let's go through how far are you into your book i love its title defining moments i think that is a brilliant title because that's life isn't it <laughs> it is. Um, I've done the hard yards, sorting through the photos, like 700. I've probably got close to a million photos, digital photos that I've shot from 2005 until now. So I've whittled those down and then I went through 150,000 slides, cut them down to 3,000, scanned about 1,800. Uh, I have a Lightroom catalogue there with 10,000 photos in it. And I've culled that down to the book was originally going to be about 280 pages, but it's going to be around 450 pages. Wow. So I've laid out 450 pages. I've put the photos on, drop photos onto every page. Mm-hmm. And I've still like, I was hoping to have the book out by midwinter, but it's not going to be now until end of, hopefully end of September. So how can we how can we buy this book? Because I'm I'm personally a big fan of pre-ordering books that I that I know that are going to be good, and I just quickly put them put my order in Amazon, and they're just only printing it out. So where can people pre-order? Um, it will be just on social media, Facebook, Instagram, all through the uh, uh, harrowart.com website, um, and I'll start doing pre-sales when I send it to. The print. I would ideally, I'd like to get it printed in Australia, but there is no yeah. comp- print company in Australia which does bindings like for books mm-hmm. that big. So yeah. I do have to get it done offshore. It takes two and a half months. When I send the files to the printer, that's when I'll start doing pre sales. But this book is all about big mountains and well, it's not just big mountains and big oceans. That's um, that's a lot of the wow factor stuff. But, you know, I've been working with Kai Lenny since he was nine years old. So I've got shots of Kai as a nine-year-old towing him around behind a jet ski and three-foot waves on a foil board. And then when I go to Jaws, when I live in Hawaii for three months a year, I'm very fortunate to be on his boat out there front row seats documenting him so yeah there's quite a few athletes like that who have been shooting since you know they were 10 
up-and-coming bug-eyed groms and now, <laughs> now they're world leaders in both surf and snow. So, um, and yes, it's about, yes, it's my photos, but where possible, if, if they're still living, um, I try and get them to quotes from them on what was their defining moment, what inspired them to become a world-class athlete or why did they take on that situation. So it's uh, definitely going to be a very uh, inspiring book for sure and historical because I was one of the very few big wave photographers to start shooting when towing surfing come along just a handful of those guys and then even smaller handful of people to be at the at the birth of the uh, modern day extreme skiing snowboarding in Alaska and opening up Alaska and Greenland back in the 1990s and the only photographer in the world to do both big wave and big mountain for the first 30 years for the first three decades so to be able to go from one sport to the other and the similarities. Yeah. um, Yeah, is is really cool because every surfer is into snow sports and every snow sports person is into the ocean. So there's definitely... Synergies there. (laughs) Synergies there. It's not just another snow book or not, not just another ocean book and there's... You know, there's thousands of incredible photographers and hundreds of incredible photo books out there. So um, I hope to be great for teams too, inspirational for teams actually, like to get it in their hands, read it and go, hey, it is achievable. Uh, Definitely. And I do a lot of work with presentations to the school up here. And uh, and I've done presentations in, in schools up and down the coast of New South Wales before and that's something where I'm really looking forward when the book does come out just to go and do uh, talks and am I a motivational speaker? No, I don't have the skills, the skill set to be a motivational speaker like some world-class athletes are. But if I've got something like the book to reference to, it's going to make it a lot easier, you know. I I think it's a great idea. Like teenagers... Any, even younger, you know, 12, 12 and up, they need to know that there's these things in the world that can be done, opportunities. And, all, and I'm sure that while you're out there, you're spreading the, the word on, you know, the Protect Our Winters as well. So there's also that message that you can give to them. There's also, you know, lots of, and, and when, when you hear someone else's story, it helps you know that it's achievable and that it can be done. I think if you just see the wealth, you go, oh, wow, that's just out of my hands. But it seems like pictures and quotes and defining moments. is. I think we all need things to look forward to as well. I mean, yeah. the mental health issues are all-time high at the moment and people are feeling like there's no hope or when are things going to open up and everything. And I think having a beautiful, inspirational book in your hands and just gives you things to aim towards, maybe insert a few ideas in your head for Maybe I need to get a job that's pandemic proof down the down the track. <laughs> yeah. Work on a laptop. I mean, that's kind of the yeah. Yeah. ultimate, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. Well, out, well, I hope there's some heli skiing in there because that's still my uh, <laughs> my goal. I'm getting there. I'll get there. <laughs> oh, that will be that will be the next one. We'll have to have another session with you, Harrow, because we could go down that heli skiing track as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I've I've got a little. Small, small little project called the Heli Club, which I, I know the New Zealand weather really well, and I know all the 
heli ski operators and the guides up there. And um, I know seven to ten days out whether what the weather's going to be doing, and then within three days' time, we're, we're I'm pretty sure you can be so you can be good enough close enough to 100% be going right we're going to get amazing snow conditions in this region of oh and, and in the alps and um on what aspect and then um someone can uh, like just say in two days time uh, i saw a really nice a good weather day coming for mount cook which is my favorite place to heli ski in new zealand I can go out to the database of people that I have and say, right, we've got uh, seven people. We've, it, basically, you go in loads, you you build your heli, heli people that you travel with in helicopter loads, yeah. so four, four each. So me plus three in the first load and then four people in the second load. So I say to them, look, it's uh, what's today? It's Monday. Thursday's looking good. Um and then everyone's got to take a sickie on Thursday so you can fly out of Sydney or Melbourne into Christchurch on Wednesday night, heli-ski that day, and then you can fly home that night. Oh, my gosh. Well, Tenille, you and Darren and Jake and I next year because Tenille's just had a knee done, so she's on ice for now. Ooh, okay. yeah. yeah, 12 months, 12 months. Oh, it was a bugger. It is a bugger. It's gonna be it's gonna be the most amazing ski season in Australia ever. I'm sure of it because I oh, can't man. ski this year. But oh, sorry to hear that. No, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. It's all good. It's for the future. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna make me strong. I can ski till I'm 95. I'll be yeah. Well, yeah. I yeah next year I'll be like, hey, Caro, put me on the helicub list, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's incredible. That really is- cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's living. That's living. <laughs> how, do, how do people find out about that? Or is that on oh, the I'm just, uh, I'm not promoting it at the moment. I've already got a couple of people, a couple okay. of clients who have met up here in Buller. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm just, uh, I've got this. Look, it's just, I don't make any money for it. I get day yeah. to skiing. But I've just got to, I've just got to get through this setup of the, got to finish off the magazine, get that to the printer. And yeah. then I've got to set up my winter business. And then I can focus on something like that. And the great thing about New Zealand and Mount Cook, some of the best times to heli ski is late September into October. Oh, even better. So outside oh, yeah. done and then yeah. Yeah. So you can go over there and you know, you can my Anna took my sister and I on a three week trip from the top of New Zealand to the bottom of New Zealand. And yeah, part of it was to land and on the glacier. So it was like pretty special. Very yeah. special, yeah. And I think I think that's where it, like the love of my mountains came from too. I was like, oh wow, this is incredible. And there's a glacier, you know, like yeah. So it was all very special. Never leaves you the mountains. Never leaves you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably one thing. You, would you say like if you get into the ski industry when you're 19, be prepared to uh, have it be in your life. Um, if you do a couple of seasons, maybe not one season, but a couple of seasons, do you think it's always going to be like with you? Is that- it can be. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen a couple of people who thought they were going to be lifers and they weren't. Yeah, no, for, for sure. If you have a good time, if you have a good time, that's what's going to make it. <laughs> Maybe, uh, yeah, looking back, a couple of those, they had, you know, those bad relationship breakups and then maybe just tainted the snow season a little bit for them but if you're having a good time you're going to want to keep on coming back aren't you 
Definitely. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, we last time we've ended up on um, what was your favorite ski resort? But this time, I guess in relation to your book, what would you say was your defining moment that made you want to stay at Mount Buller for a long time? The very um, the people. It was really nice that connect to connect with that mountain environment. And then we went skiing, and the skiing, admittedly, it was knee deep. It was epic. I'm going, crikey, how good's the train on Buller? And then what reinforced what my love for the place was that the people up here and the fact that it's run by an Australian family. Yeah. You know, and they are the, the owners of this this resort are as passionate as the most passionate skiers who come here every year. And you do not get that in any other ski resort in Australia. You yeah, know, true. they own half of them are owned by Vale now. Threadbow, look, they're, they're not too bad. The, the great thing, Stewie Diver has, he was a godsend for Threadbow, what he's done for really? Threadbow. <laughs> I mean, you, you cannot, yeah, without question, he has made that resort into what it is today, despite it being you know, shareholder owned. Uh, he's just got the passion and the drive and the business acumen to make it really good. Um, well, he was a skier, wasn't he? I mean, I was a ski instructor with him at Silverstar back in the day, him and his wife. Yeah, right. so, so they are seriously from that mount, that mountain back. like it. They, they have it and they run it, yeah. And adventurer as well, you know, his parents brought him up as an adventurer. So, yeah. 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 I wouldn't be, I, I would not be in the Australian snow industry if I had to work for another commercial resort again. It's just too hard. Yeah. Wisely is what you're saying if you go into a lifestyle in the ski industry. <laughs> yeah. Look, get, what, get in there any way that you can. Be prepared to uh, have a lot of moments where you just question why you're there, but then really embrace the good things that you have. And if it all adds up, just keep on doing it again and again and again. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much for today. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, thank you so Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, Subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.